is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Why would any Christian not believe in keeping the Ten Commandments? Now again, I'm not saying all fit into this category. I'm just saying in the world of churchianity, in the world of religion, believe me, there are a lot of Christians who will tell you the law has been abolished and we're not under the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Just recently, I was reading a forum. It said this, and I quote, it said, No Christian is under the law of Moses. It ended when Jesus nailed it to the cross and faded away during the life of the apostles. Now, I tell you, I have zero tolerance for people who call themselves Christians and believe they don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. And the reason I say that is, you know, if you were just to say, just ask a logical question. Should a Christian, should a people, should a society, should a Christian nation, or a nation that calls itself Christian, keep the Ten Commandments? Who would pipe up and raise their hand and say, no, I don't, I don't think we should? You know, because the law of God is a definer of morality. It tells us how to make our lives work. And I'm under the assumption that, at least you would think so, that people, especially Christians, would want their lives to work. And so to come along and say, well, no, we're not under those Ten Commandments. We don't have to keep. They've been abolished. They've been nailed to the cross. Doesn't make any sense. So what I'm going through are excuses Christians use for not keeping the Ten Commandments. And they will grab their favorite verse out of the Bible, you know, proof texting, and they'll take, usually it's just one little scripture or several scriptures together, and they will say, you see what that says? That's why I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. So I'm going through all of them, and uh, here's the next one, Colossians 2 and verse 14. It says this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, never mind that the Ten Commandments are never referred to as the handwriting ordinances. It's just not. That's not a reference. That is not a used reference to the Ten Commandments. But this is how a lot of people view this. I'm going to read it how a lot of, pe a lot of Christians think. Blotting out the Ten Commandments that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, question. Was the commandments given to us for the purpose of being against us? Did God up in his heavenly you know, rocking chair room or whatever look down and say, I want to give them some bad commandments. I just I want to give them some really rotten laws that are contrary and against them and that will really make their lives miserable, you know. Now, again, a lot of people probably think so, you know. 
A lot of carnal-minded people will say, well, why couldn't, why couldn't God just say, go steal everything you want to steal under the sun? Go commit adultery of every woman you want to. Now, why couldn't God just say, go ahead and do all that? Well, <laughs> you know, people don't think you know, that these laws is what governs our lives and makes our life work. All right. So let's, let's look at, let's just summarize the Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And I'm sort of putting these in my own language here to simplify them. But as I go through these, I want to ask, what is contrary and against us with these laws? Number one, trust God only. What's, what's contrary and against us with that? Uh, two, worship God only. How is that contrary or against us? Use, a third commandment, use God's name in a way that honors him. How is that contrary to us and against us? Rest on the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, and think about God. This was the Sabbath day is a wonderful day. It's a day that you disconnect yourself, like an overloaded receptacle. You got all this stuff plugged in. And on the Sabbath, you just yank it out and you disconnect from the, from the world in which you live. And you rest. You rest. How is this contrary or against us? All right, fifth commandment, respect and obey your parents. How is that contrary or against us? Six. Protect and respect human life. Contrary? Against us? Seventh, be true to your husband or wife. Now, on the other hand, you know, if you're a man whore or a woman whore and, you know, you really don't want to change, you don't want to repent of your sin and you want to just keep living your life the way you want to live it, then I can see how that, 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 that the law, that law, the seventh commandment, could be contrary and against you. Yeah, I really can understand that. Eighth, do not take what belongs to others. Now, if you're a thief and that's how you make your living, yeah, I can see how the law of God could be contrary or against you. Uh, do not lie about others, ninth commandment. Now, if you're a pathological liar, you never tell the truth. You can't tell the truth if you, if you wanted to. I can see how that, that law could be contrary and against you. Be satisfied with what you have. But, but in general, as I, I go through this, you know, obviously, if, you, if you're living in sin, yeah, I can see how those commandments can be. If you're breaking every one of those ten commandments, I can see how you might look at those and say, well, boy, they're, they're against everything I want to do. As far as the carnal mind is, I mean, the carnal mind wants to do all these things that are against God's will. Now, in Deuteronomy 30, uh, 32 and verse 45, it says this, and Moses made an end of speaking all these words to Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts into all the words which I testify among you this day, which, shall, which you shall command your children to observe and do. Notice the commandments are about observing and doing. To observe and do all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. And through this thing you shall prolong your days in the land whether you go over Jordan to possess it. So did Moses look at the law of God as, you know, boy, these things are against us. These things are terrible. They're, 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 they're not for us. They're against us. No, no. It's, here is revealed that these commandments, if you do these laws and keep these commandments, it is your life. It gives you life. Now, it doesn't give you eternal life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it makes your life work 
today, that each and every day you get up, if you will abide by the law of God, it will make your life work. And he also mentions it will prolong your days. Now, far from being against us, you know, these, these commandments to live long, to live long on the land, to prolong your day, it doesn't, everybody want that. Look at Psalms 40 and verse 8, what David said about the law of God. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy, thy law is within my heart. Oh, man, if only there were more Christians like that who could say the same, I delight. Man, I tell you, with, with the stuff I do in, in evangelism, I've run into more rebellious Christians who want to do away with the law of God than I have Christians who want to keep the law of God. But if there were more Christians who could say, as David said in the Psalms, I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. What a better society we would have. What better religion we would have also, you know, instead of the pablum that you get today. Of just believe, just accept, just keep your heart to the Lord. You know, I mean, what we, we're being fed baby food today from pulpits. They don't have anything to talk about, basically, is what I'm saying. All right, Psalms 119 and verse 18. Open thou my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Far from being contrary or against us, there are wonderful things within God's law. Psalms 119 and verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Why would he meditate on something that was contrary and against him? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Psalms 119 and verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. Notice that. He says, your law is truth. Not contrary, not a lie, not against us, but your law is truth. Do you want truth or do you want a lie? Do you want to live a lie? You want to live a lie? I tell you what you'll believe. The law has been abolished. I don't have to keep it. Been nailed to the cross. Yeah, that's a lie. And so many people believe the lie. They believe the lie hook, line, and sinker, and they have an underlying motive for believing the lie. Oh, yeah. Psalms 119 and verse 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Why would you love something that is contrary and against us? Yeah, good question. Now, there is one way the law can be against us. I want to, I want to explain that. Here it is. 1 John 3 and verse 4. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, if you break the law, the Ten Commandments, it claims your life. You're a sinner, you have to die. That's, in that sense, the law can be against, it, against you. Because if I break it, I deserve death. Now the question is this, what was Jesus' answer to this problem? When I break God's law, I have committed sin. I have sin. He, now, what's the answer? What was Jesus' answer? Well, he died for my sins. By his grace, I can be forgiven. You know, so many people believe that the way Jesus dealt with our sin problem is to, do, is to abolish the law. And that doesn't even make any sense. Why, why would you believe that? Now, why would you believe that? 
Romans 4 and verse 15, because the law works wrath. Now, how does the law work wrath? Well, <laughs> if you break it, it claims your life. And then it goes on to say, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So we're dealing with the concept of, okay, let's just abolish the law. Let's just do away with the law. Here's the problem with that, this concept. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. You see, if there is no law, you can't be guilty of sin. That's the problem. You can't get a ticket for running a stop sign if there is no stop sign. If you abolish all law, there is no sin. Like I said, you know, the police officer, you got this intersection where people are running to the stop sign, and his solution is cut down the stop sign. Okay, you abolish the law, then no one can get a ticket for running the stop sign. Where there is no law, there is no law breaking. All right. So if there is no law, if there is no sin because there is no law, you don't need forgiveness, do you? In other words, I'm trying to deal with this concept of Christ is the end of the law. The law's been abolished. It's been nailed to the cross. We don't have to. If there is no law, there is no sin. And if there is no sin, you don't need Jesus. You don't need a Savior because there's nothing you can do that's wrong. Because there's no law, there's nothing that you can do that's wrong. Now, you see how bizarre, you see how insane this line of thinking is as you carry your mind down this road. In other words, Christ did not die for our law-breaking in order to abolish the law that defines what law-breaking is. Let me repeat that. Christ did not die for our law-breaking in order to abolish the law that defines what law-breaking is. Imagine this conversation between God the Father and Jesus. Father says, son, I want you to go down there and die for their sins. I want you to go down there and die for their law-breaking. Now, once you die for their law-breaking, I'm going to abolish the law. And the son looks at his father and sort of shakes his head and says, why don't we just abolish the law to begin with? And that way I won't have to die for their law-breaking. I won't have to die for their sins. Because where there is no law, there's no law-breaking. You, you see how confused this line of, 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 of this theology that is out there that says, well, the law's been abolished. You know, the father would have every, the son would have every right to say, well, you're just going to abolish the law after I die for the sins. Let's just get it over with to begin with. Let's just abolish all law. That way there won't be any sin and I won't have to die. No. Now, as I said earlier, Christ did not die for our law-breaking in order to abolish the law that defines what law-breaking is. That's not the way it works. Besides, you, you cannot abolish laws of morality anyway. I mean, that's basically what the Ten Commandments are. There are laws that define what morality is. You can't abolish those. It's like trying to abolish the law of gravity. You know, you got some preacher thumping on his Bible and saying, the law of gravity has been abolished. He nailed it to his cross. Okay, you want to test that one out? Go climb your 10-story building and jump off and see if the law of gravity has been abolished. You'll find out a little too late. <laughs>
<laughs> that has not been abolished. You see, this, this is the insanity of this kind of teaching. If there are still, if, if you still have consequences, in other words, if you commit adultery and there are still consequences, you get an STD, you have to pay child support for the next 18 years because your wife divorced you. All right, you have no respect for your, your children have no respect for you because you cheated on their mother. All right, if there's still consequences of breaking the law, that, mean, that tells you what? Can't hear you. Tells you that the law is still in existence. If there are still consequences for law breaking, the law is still in existence. All right, I'm glad we got that over with. I'm glad we finally come to our senses. Okay. All right, you cannot, laws that define what morality is, you can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't abolish those things anyway. So you can live in ignorance, as many Christians do, and pretend they've been abolished. Oh, yeah, how many times have I heard it? Been abolished. Law's been abolished. Yeah, okay. Keep living in your ignorance. One day you'll meet Jesus. <laughs> All right. All right, Colossians 2 and verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What was this handwriting or ordinances of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us? We're going to find out what it was. Okay. All we've got to do is skip down to Colossians 2 and verse 20, and we'll find out. Wherefore, if you be de dead, excuse me, with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? All right, we're going to find out what these ordinances are in just a minute. And all we had to do is just skip down five verses to find the meaning of it. But we're going to find out, okay, what these ordinances are. But, but let me deal with another issue real, real quickly before we do. Why, small letter C Christian, are you so eager to find a scripture that says, the law's been abolished and I don't have to keep it? Why? Can you answer me that question? Can't, why? You see, if you deal with that reality, honestly, you will find out where your heart is really at. There is always an underlying motive to everything you desire. There is always an underlying motive to theology. Why you want to believe this about God, why you want to believe the law's been abolished. There's always a motive. And if you can get honest enough to admit that, you might one day be able to enter into a real relationship with God. I know you think you got one now, but it's all built on sinking sand. It's not built on a foundation that will stand. I know you say, oh, I got Jesus. Jesus is my foundation. All you've got is a rebellious, in your mind, a rebellious son that came along to do away with his father's commandments. That's not the way it works. That's not the real Jesus of the Bible. Okay. I want to tell you why you are so eager to believe that the law has been abolished. It is your carnal mind. The word of God describes you to a T. Romans 8 and verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You know, the, when I think about it, you have to find those verses. 
You have no other choice. You have to find those verses that say the law has been abolished. It's been nailed. Because of how you want to live your life, really. But you, you have no other choice. And that's sort of a scary thought. But this verse tells us that the way we naturally come into the world, we are at enmity against the law of God. We cannot be subject to the law of God. And that explains our carnality. And until God smites you down and brings you to a conviction of the law of God, and until you surrender to that law where you have this enmity against, I don't want to keep it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to submit to it, until you come to a point where you hold up your little white flag and say, I surrender all. I surrender my will to your will, and I will do what you tell me to do. Until you come to that, there's not real conversion. There can be no real conversion. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We're talking about the need for real conversion here. Just because you go to church, just because you can explain all your proof texts and all your verses that say that where you think it says the law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, been done away with, just because you think you got it all down pat doesn't mean you're converted. The fact that you have enmity against God's law reveals what's really going on in your life. You've never been converted in the first place. Colossians 2 and verse 20, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Now what were these ordinances? Here they are. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Notice that. After the commandments and doctrines of men. We're not talking about the commandments of God. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the commandments and doctrines of men. This is what the ordinances were. Christ referred to these humanly devised ordinances. Mark 7 and verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it, is written, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching, here it is, for doctrines the commandments of men. Here we have connected up, Mark 7 and verse 7 with Colossians 2 verse 22, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So we have identified the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, and it's not the Ten Commandments, for pity's sakes. Mark 7 and verse 8, For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. You remember the incident with Jesus where it's in Matthew uh, 15 and verse 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do you, your, thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now this is a direct reference to the oral law of the Jews. This little statement transgressed the tradition of the elders. It was a reference to the oral law of the Jews. The oral law of the Jews, first of all, it separated Jew from Gentiles. They were man-made. They were traditions of men. They were ordinances. It was fence building around the law of God, which we are supposed to keep. But they built their oral tradition around the, around the law of God, which defined every nuance 
of what you could and could not do. Now, when Jesus came on the scene, they had placed their oral tradition, the tradition of the elders, on a par with the Ten Commandments, actually above the Ten Commandments. And Jesus comes along and says, oh, no, 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 these traditions of men, these oral laws, the tradition of the elder, elders, these ordinances are going to have to go. Now, if you want to know what was nailed to the cross, here it is. It was the oral law of the Jews that separated Jew from Gentile. It's just that simple. Mark 9, 7 and verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own traditions. Do we have any small letter C Christians that do this, that reject the commandments of God? Yes, we do. Law has been abolished, been nailed to the cross, been done away with. And again, I have zero tolerance for people who call themselves Christian, who believe they don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. If you ask, should a Christian nation, should a people, should a society keep the Ten Commandments, who in their right mind would say no? Well, I do have an answer to that. Who in their right mind would say no? Only Christians, small letter C, who are just playing church. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible. Was there something wrong with the Ten Commandments? Were they weak legislation in the first place? Or did they somehow become obsolete with the passage of time? If, as some suppose, the time came for the Ten Commandments to be abolished, there must have been a reason for it. Order your free copy of Which of the Ten Commandments Did Jesus Repeal? Order by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.com. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount. 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.